Good morning. Uh, it's a joy to be here. Um, your sister church says hello from Virginia. I'm here to represent your sister church. And it was awesome to be with you on Friday night to celebrate your six-year anniversary and to thank God for his faithfulness and goodness to this church. And God has been so good to this church. And he really has been. It was just so appropriate for us to just uh, to thank God for all that he's done and given to this church. But today, uh, so we look back on Friday night. Today, I want us to look forward. Because... In celebrating six years anniversary, that means that you're about to begin your seventh year of ministry as Christ Central of Southern California. And that's something to celebrate. Man, that's awesome. You're going to begin your seventh year of ministry. And this year, you know, Pastor Terrell has told me that the vision for Christ Central for this year is, uh, is summed up in this kind of motto. One more for the gospel, right? One more person to win to Christ. One more disciple to mature, one more leader to train up, one more for the gospel. I love that. And, and, and for this beautiful vision to become a reality, you not only need the grace of God, but you all, each and every member of you, you all need to be radically generous. A radical generosity. What, what is radical generosity? Now, the word radical comes from the Latin word radix, which means root. Right? So to be radically generous means to be generous to the root of your being, to the very deep core of your being. And so if you're radically generous, if you're uh, generous from the very root of your being, it's going to show up and pervade all of your life. It's going to make you generous with all of your currencies of value. First of all, it will make you generous with your money as you give generously and liberally and cheerfully to support the gospel ministry of the church and to help those in need. But it's not just money. Because you have more than just money as your currency of value. You also have your homes. So you're generous with your homes. You open up your homes and you show hospitality, making space in your home so that people are welcomed in, so they can sense uh, a community and, and service and welcome in your home. You're also to be generous with your heart as you give grace to people, as you forgive people when they sin against you and wrong you. Also, you're called to be generous with your time and your talents. I know some of you are very generous with your money, but you're stingy with your time. You're stingy with the talents that God has given to you. And today, I want to challenge you to be generous even with your time and your talents so that you might use them to minister to others. Because ministry requires time. Ministry requires that you use the talents and the gifts and the abilities that God has given to you for the benefit of others. And so today, we're going to talk about um, what it means. So, so Christ Central, if you see this radical generosity, this generosity that, that starts from the, the depth of your being and it rises up and pervades all of your life, that kind of radical generosity is the clearest and the most, one of the most beautiful evidences of a heart that has been touched and transformed by the radical grace of the gospel. So Christ Central, if you want to live out your vision of one more for the gospel, then you will need to be radically generous. Generous with your time and generous with your talents. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read from verse 49 
to chapter 10, verse 2. And I, I need to say this. I need to give credit where credit is due. This sermon that I'm going to preach to you today is based largely on a sermon that Tim Keller gave at Redeemer Church. And so if there's anything good or insightful that you hear from me today, I ripped it off from Tim Keller. Okay? I've never had an original thought in my life. All I do is I find other people who say it and I just say it in my own way. That's my job. So, Luke chapter 9, verse uh, 49, all the way to chapter 10, verse 2. This is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful and humble attention? John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we try to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, uh, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. After celebrating six years of God's faithfulness to Christ Central, today we're going to look ahead to dream about how God might use this church Christ Central in Placentia to do gospel ministry in the city. And I'm sure that you must all be excited that a new ministry year is beginning, right? You should be excited. But what are you excited about? Let me ask you that. Are you excited about all the ministry that you're going to get? Or are you also excited about the ministry that you're going to get to give? Here's the big question I have for you today, Christ Central. In this new ministry year, are you going to be a ministry consumer or a ministry contributor? Is your plan for this year simply to receive ministry from others or do you also want to give ministry to others? Is your plan simply to take or do you also want to give? You see, if you're a Christ follower, if you've received the grace of God in Jesus personally, then you are not primarily a ministry consumer, but you are primarily a ministry provider. 
You see, following Jesus means being sent by Jesus to minister to others in his name. And so today we're going to talk about how the gospel makes us radically generous, even with our time and talent, so that we might become generous ministry providers to others. I'm going to talk about three things today. And these three things are related and they're found in our text. The first is generous ministry. Second, costly discipleship. And third, radical grace. And let me tell you how these three things are related. Radical grace leads to costly discipleship which then leads to generous ministry. Those are how those three things are related. But today I'm going to work from the back up, so kind of the bottom up. We're going to start with generous ministry. To be radically generous, again, means that you're generous with all of your currencies of value, including your time and your talent, and you are willing to spend your time, use your gifts, for the sake of ministering to others. Again, ministry, if you're going to do ministry, it requires you to give up some time. It requires you to use the talents and the gifts that God has entrusted to you. Now, chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, are actually uh, connected to chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. See, back in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we didn't read it today, but back there, we're told that Jesus sent out his 12 apostles, his 12 disciples, on a mission. You see, they were, they were the clergy, they were the, uh, they were the full-time pastors, if you will. They were, they were the ministry professionals. Now, the Latin word for sent out is missio, and that's where we get the word mission. So, the 12 apostles were sent out on a mission, and, uh, for, uh, on a mission from Jesus, and their mission included doing three things. First, they were to preach the gospel. That means they were to uh, persuade people of the truth and the beauty of the gospel. Second, they were to cast out demons. That means they were to set people free from the things that enslaved them, from the things that they were in bondage to, from the things that degraded and dehumanized them. And third, they were to heal the sick. They were to take care of broken and hurting bodies. So these 12 apostles, the clergy, the ministry professionals, were sent out on a mission to minister to people by doing those three things. And now in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, we're told that Jesus sent out 72 others. In addition to the 12 apostles, Jesus sent out 72 others, two by two, and they had the exact same mission. Preach the gospel, cast out demons, and heal the sick. Now why 72 people? What a random number, right? Why not 50 people? Why not 100 people? Why 72 people? Is there a significance to the number 72? Well, in Jesus' day, the people read the Old Testament in the Greek. There was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in chapter 10 of Genesis, right after Noah's flood, there is a list. Of all the nations of the earth. There's a catalog of all the nations of the earth. And guess how many nations are listed there? 72. That's right. You see, in the time of Jesus, the number 72 came to symbolize completeness. 72 meant everybody. So here's what Jesus is doing here. So Jesus... Uh, first sends 12 to minister, and then he sends 72 to minister. And by sending 72, Jesus is saying, it's not just the ministry professionals who are to do ministry, but everybody who is a disciple of mine is to do ministry. You see, ministry is for every Christ follower, for everyone who believes in Jesus and follows him as Lord. You see, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus, then you are a man or a woman who has been sent out by Jesus on a mission. 
And your mission is the exact same as the mission that we find here. Your mission is to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. You see, God never brings you in to forgive you, to love you, and to pour all of his blessings on you without then sending you out to share those same gospel blessings to others. You see, God doesn't bless you so that you can simply be blessed. Oh, I'm so blessed. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. God never brings you in for salvation without then sending you out for mission. You see, every single Christian, every recipient of God's grace in Christ is sent on a mission, a mission to minister to others. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul said that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. Four good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you realize what Paul is saying? He's saying if you're a Christian, then you're God's workmanship and God has recreated you for a purpose. And that purpose is for you to do the good works that God has prepared for you. Do you realize that to do good works is just another way of saying ministry? When you do good works in the name of Jesus that bless and help and serve other people, that's ministry. You were created for ministry, to do the good works that God has prepared for you. Each and every one of you, God has given you gifts, certain talents, certain experiences, and, and they were all meant to equip and prepare you for the good works for the ministry that God has called you to. In fact, everything about you, your age, your race, your childhood, your upbringing, your losses, your successes, your failures, your victories, your mistakes, your sufferings, your disappointments, your broken dreams, and all the ways that your own heart has been hurt, and all the ways that you've been broken, and you have experienced God's grace, everything about you has been uniquely and sovereignly prepared for you by God so that you might minister and do the good works that God wants you and you alone to do. Listen very carefully. There are certain hands that only you can hold. There are certain wounds that only you can heal. There are certain tears that only you can wipe away. There are certain hearts that only you can touch. There are certain questions that only you can answer. And there are certain needs that only you can meet. And there are certain people that only you can reach with the gospel. And God has prepared you for those good works, for those people who need your ministry and they're waiting for you. Do you realize that God has sent you to them? Not Pastor Harold, not Pastor Dinko, not your small group leader. Not someone else in the church, but God has sent you to them. Jesus has prepared and sent you. And the only question really is this. Will you obey Jesus and go minister to them? Will you use the time and the talents that Jesus has entrusted to you for you to use to bless others? Or will you disobey him and squander the time and the talents that Jesus has entrusted to you to be a steward? That's the heart of the issue, really. You know, a lot of Christians think that it's the pastor's job to do all the ministry, right? So the pastors do the ministry, or maybe the pastors and the elders and the deacons, they do the ministry, and our job as a regular Christian is to support them. We support them by paying our tithes and offerings, and we'll, we'll pray for them, and we'll support them. Go, Pastor Harold, do all the ministry. You can do it. We're here to cheerlead for you. No, 
That's so far from the truth. You see, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says that it was the job of the pastors to equip the saints, that's you all, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That means the pastor's herald job is not to do, to do the work of ministry that God has called you to do. His job is to equip you so that you can do the work of ministry that God has called you to do. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are united to Christ, then that means that you in Christ, every single one of us, we're prophets, priests, and kings. If you're a Christian, that means you're a prophet. And that means it is your responsibility to know the gospel, to love the gospel, and to be equipped to share the gospel. Sure, you may never preach the gospel as well as a pastor, but you're supposed to be able to preach the gospel. Simply, clearly. It's your responsibility to be equipped and trained to do that. You're also a king. And that means you're called to help people uh, get set free from the bondages that destroy and dehumanize them and to help them to live in submission to King Jesus. Do you realize, friends, that when you see people living as slaves to sin, they are being dehumanized, degraded, and they are miserable. No matter what facade that they may put, if you're living as a slave to sin, you are miserable. But when you live as a slave of righteousness, when you live as a, as a servant of Christ, that is the path of true human flourishing and joy. And as a king, it is your responsibility to help others experience that human flourishing as they live in submission to King Jesus and to help them be free from the things that enslave them and keep them in bondage and degrade them. Every one of us. You're also a priest in Christ. And that means you're called to heal broken bodies and broken hearts, to bring the comfort, presence, peace, and healing of Jesus to those who are suffering and afflicted. You see, this is the work of ministry that all Christians are called to, not just the pastors, not just the elders, not just the deacons, but all Christ's followers are called to participate in this ministry. Friends, do you realize there is someone in your life that needs you to be their prophet, their king, and their priest? That is the good work that God has called you to, each and every one of us. So here's the first point. Every Christian is called to provide generous ministry. And that means you have to be generous with your time and with your talents and with your experiences. Again, you can't do ministry when you're stingy with your time. You can't do ministry when you're stingy with your talents. You have to be generous with those things in order to do ministry. Here's the second point. This only happens if you're willing to do costly discipleship. You will minister generously to others only if you embrace costly discipleship, only if you will follow Jesus without conditions. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? In verses 57 to 62, we meet three people who come up to Jesus and say, I want to follow you. These guys want to follow Jesus. And you would think Jesus would say, hey, man, that's great. I need everyone that I can get. Come on. But Jesus seems to give them this, the stiff arm, the Heisman. He seems to engage all three of these people in such a way where he's actually discouraging them from following him. Now, why would Jesus do that? Shouldn't he just be happy that anyone wants to follow him? Why is he sending people away? It's because Jesus wants these three men and you and me to count the cost before we follow Jesus. The first guy comes up to Jesus and says, um, 
I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. So this guy was evidently a big fan of Jesus. And at that time, Jesus had a lot of big fans. You see, like so many people of his time, he thought that Jesus was going to be a political messiah, that he was going to be a military hero that would liberate Israel from Roman occupation. He thought that Jesus was going to win battles and wars for them and that he was going to make his life better and the life of his nation better. But Jesus was not going to be that kind of messiah. Jesus said that he was going to be homeless, that he didn't even have a head, a place to to lay his head. In fact, Jesus is the kind of Messiah that was going to get arrested, condemned, humiliated, tortured, and put to death. And Jesus was asking, are you ready to follow a Messiah like that? What if following Jesus means loss, not gain? What if following Jesus means hardship, not ease? What if following Jesus causes the quality of your life to go down, not up? What if following Jesus makes your life harder, not easier? Do you still want to follow him? What then? You see, Jesus wanted this guy and and us to count the cost before we follow him. Now, the second two people who come up to Jesus who want to follow Jesus, they say they're going to follow him, but they had conditions, didn't they? One said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. Lord, I'll follow you, but first, let me go say uh, bye to my family. These guys wanted to follow Jesus, but they had conditions. They had to first fulfill their family obligations, didn't they? Now, Jesus was talking into a patriarchal culture. Uh, That's a culture where the family was everything. A culture where the family came first, the family name came first, honoring and pleasing your family came first. That was the most important thing in patriarchal culture. It is much like uh, the Asian culture, right? Now, Jesus was not saying to forget about your family or to dishonor your mom and dad. That's not what he's saying. But Jesus was saying that he must come first, even before your family, even before your mom and dad. Now, that would have been shocking and scandalous in a patriarchal culture because Jesus was saying, following me, is more important than honoring your family name. Following me is more important than obeying your mom and dad. Now, if I were to contextualize this to our culture, Jesus might have said something like this. Following me is more important than building your career or getting that promotion. Following me is more important than making money and providing financial security for your kids. Following me is more important than being liked and praised by people. Following me is more important than pleasing your spouse. Following me is more important than giving your kid every opportunity to succeed, whether at sports or at school. Some of you moms and dads are, whoa, that's really important to me. That my kids get every opportunity to succeed academically, athletically, artistically. That's the most important thing for my family. Now, you may say that's not, but I bet you it is. Let me just show me how much time you spend on your kids and their extracurricular activities. Show me how much money you spend on their youth sports, and I'll tell you how important it is. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are all good. But Jesus is saying, I'm more important. Am I more important than even your kids and their successes? Am I important even more than you getting married? 
Am I more important than you having a good marriage? Am I more important than financial security? You see, friends, if you say, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first this or that, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as I get this or that. Jesus, I'll follow you if this or that. What Jesus is saying is whatever is on the other side of the but first, the as long as, the if, that is your true Lord. That is your true master. That is your true treasure. You see, if you say, I'll follow you, Jesus, but first let me make sure my kids are set up for success, then it's your kids that you follow, not Jesus. If you say, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, let me get my career off the ground. It's really your career that you're following, not Jesus. If you say, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, let me get married. I really want to get married. Then it's marriage and love you're following, not Jesus. You see, if you say, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, let me make some money. Because this is the time to make money right now. Then money is what you're following not Jesus. That's what I call convenient discipleship. You see, there's a big difference between convenient discipleship and costly discipleship. Convenient discipleship is when you follow Jesus on your terms. Costly discipleship is when you follow Jesus on his terms. Convenient discipleship is when you, is when you follow Jesus when you like what he says and what he says suits you. Costly discipleship is when you follow Jesus even when you don't like what he says and even what, what he says doesn't suit you very well. Convenient discipleship is when you say, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you don't touch my idols. Leave my kids and leave my money alone and then I'll follow you. Costly discipleship says, I'll follow you, Jesus, even if you mess with my idols, even if you take my idols away. You see, convenient discipleship is when you tell Jesus, Jesus, this is how I plan to live my life for you. Costly discipleship says, Jesus, you tell me how you want me to live my life for you. Convenient discipleship says, Jesus, uh, these are the hours that I have for you. Costly discipleship says, Jesus, all my hours belong to you. You tell me how to use my hours. You see, convenient discipleship is not discipleship at all. Inconvenient discipleship, the person you're really following is yourself. You are the Lord of your own life. Costly discipleship, you're following Jesus. And Jesus is the Lord and the master of your life. Costly discipleship is true discipleship. And it's costly discipleship that will lead to generous uh, ministry. Do you realize convenient Discipleship will never lead to generous ministry. It will lead to stingy ministry. You will only serve others when it suits you, when it's convenient for you, when you feel like it, when you have the spare time for it. Convenient discipleship will always lead to self-centered ministry because when, when you do that, you're only doing ministry because of how it makes you feel. Oh, I feel like such a good person. I'm so, I'm so nice. Convenient discipleship leads to self-centered ministry. Costly discipleship leads to other-centered ministry. So, generous ministry flows from costly discipleship. But where does costly discipleship flow from? And that brings us to my last point, to radical grace. Costly discipleship flows and only flows from radical grace. You see, the truth is, none of us like costly discipleship. We don't want to follow Jesus without any conditions. Let's be honest, we all want convenient discipleship, 
right? We do. Let's be honest about that. That's what we all want. So how do we get to that place where we want to follow Jesus without conditions? How do we get to that place where we joyfully embrace costly discipleship? See, the truth is that in this life, because of indwelling sin, we will never perfectly follow Jesus without conditions. That's only going to happen in glory when we're made perfectly like him. But listen, but there must be a sincere and earnest desire in your heart to want to follow Jesus unconditionally, even if you can't do it perfectly. If that desire is not even there in your heart, it's a pretty good sign you're not regenerate. Only those who've been born again by the Spirit even begin to have this godly desire to say, Lord Jesus, I know I can't do it, but I want to. I want to follow you with all that I have. I want to make you first and foremost in my heart. And today I want to ask you, if that desire is not even there, you need to pray and ask God to give you that desire. For only God can give you that desire as he changes your heart. And we will only want to follow Jesus in costly discipleship without conditions only if you have received radical grace from Jesus. When you know that you have been deeply, sacrificially, and unconditionally loved by Jesus. In verse 51, we're told that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Jesus was on his own mission. He was going to Jerusalem no matter what. But why? Why was Jesus so dead set on going to Jerusalem? It's because that was the place where he was going to die on a cross for sinners. And as Jesus and his disciples passed through that Samaritan village, they rejected Jesus. And this infuriated his disciples, particularly James and John, right? When they saw Jesus being disrespected and, and rejected, James and John got so mad that Jesus, who do these worthless Samaritans think they are? Don't they know who you are? Give us the word and we'll call fire down out of heaven and we'll destroy all of them. They wanted to consume an entire village, destroy it because they disrespected and rejected Jesus. Now they're like, whoa, calm down. Why are you so mad? Well, what's going on with these disciples that they want to start killing people? Well, context is helpful. See, earlier in chapter 9, these disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, they were up in a mountain with Jesus, where Jesus was transfigured. With their own eyes, they saw the glory of Jesus unveiled, and they heard the voice of God the Father say, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. They got a glimpse of who Jesus really was, and they were floored. That's the context. And so, James and John, oh my God, this is the son of God. Son of God. And they come to the Samaritan village and, 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 and they disregard him, disrespect him, and, 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 and reject him. They get so offended for Jesus. That's why they're so mad. And they're ready to kill people. But what did Jesus do? In verse 55, it says that Jesus turned and rebuked them. Jesus didn't rebuke the Samaritans who rejected him. Jesus rebuked his disciples. Isn't that interesting? Now, why would Jesus do that? It's because his disciples still didn't get it. They still didn't get why he was going to Jerusalem in the first place. See, they didn't get 
that Jesus did not come to bring judgment against sinners, but to bear judgment for sinners. That's why Jesus was going to Jerusalem, where he was going to lay down his life on the cross. You see, on the cross, Jesus was going to bear the judgment that the Samaritans deserved, the judgment that you and I deserved for our sins. And friends, when you begin to realize that you're no better than the Samaritans who disrespected and rejected Jesus, when you begin to realize that Jesus went to the cross for you to bear the judgment that you deserved, when you see his great love, when you see Jesus dying for you so that you might live and be forgiven, when you see Jesus being cut off from God so that you might be brought to God, when you begin to see that kind of love, that kind of radical grace, that is when you begin to want to follow Jesus without conditions. You see, if Jesus really is who he says he was, that he was God come in human flesh uh, in human flesh to die for us, for our sins on the cross, what could possibly be more important than knowing this Jesus and following him? You see, friends, Jesus is worth giving up every good thing to follow. Nothing compares to him, not your money, not your spouse, not your kids, not their opportunities. Nothing compares to Jesus. And when you see Jesus loving you unconditionally on the cross, that's when you begin to want to follow Jesus unconditionally. There can never again be a but first because Jesus is first. He is foremost. He is most beautiful. And we want him more than anything else. Friends, it's radical grace that leads to costly discipleship, which then leads to generous ministry. So what? Let's talk some pragmatics here, practical things here. What will you be this new ministry year? Will you be a ministry consumer or a ministry contributor? Are you looking this year simply to receive ministry from others so that your wife can receive ministry, so that your kids can receive ministry? Or are you also looking to give ministry to others? The gospel makes us radically generous. It makes us generous with our time, our talents, and our experiences so that we can give generous ministry to others. And let me talk about one concrete example. I know that at Christ Central, being a part of a small group is super, super important. That's your bread and butter. And as you prepare to get involved in the small group, I want you to not ask yourself this question. What can I get out of joining a small group? What's in it for me? How am I going to be benefited and helped and served by joining a small group? Don't ask that question. Because all of us naturally ask that question. I want you to ask yourself, uh, don't ask yourself for that question. Because when you ask yourself that question, you'll only show up to small group when it's convenient for you. You'll only show up to small group when you feel like, I need something. I need some encouragement. Therefore, I'm going to show up to small group so I can receive something. You'll become a very selfish small group consumer. Rather, ask yourself this question. What can I give when I show up to small group today? In what ways can I use all the resources that God has given to me to encourage and bless others? When you ask yourself that question, you'll show up to small group even when it's inconvenient for you. Even when you feel, even when you feel like you don't need the small group, but you realize others may need you to be a part of that small group because they need the ministry that God intends to give them through you. 
You see, friends, ask yourself now this question, not how can I consume ministry at Christ Central, but how can I contribute ministry to others? And wouldn't the culture of Christ Central become so beautiful when everybody shows up with that heart and that question that no matter what ministry event it is, you show up to give, not to take. You show up to bless, not to be blessed. In fact, here's the gospel dynamics. It's when you seek to be a blessing that you're actually blessed. It's when you give away that you're filled up. It's when you serve others that you find yourself being served. That's the the glorious mystery of gospel dynamics. It's when you give away that you're filled up. So Christ Central, do you want to fulfill your vision for one more for the gospel? Then it will take you being radically generous, generous with your time and your talents so that you can love one more, reach one more, serve one more, pray for one more, share the gospel with one more, disciple one more, and train one more. Christ central, may God give you the deep desire of your heart and may you fulfill your vision for one more for the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.